0: This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting.
1: Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University. Committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.
2: Welcome back to the Legislature Today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. The House Education Committee had a vigorous debate on the anti-racism bill Monday. This is the same bill which died in the final hours of the 2022 legislative session. According to the bill itself, Senate Bill 130, known as the Anti-Racism Act of 2023, prohibits teaching that one race is inherently morally or intellectually superior to another race, but nothing in the bill prohibits discussion of those concepts in theory as part of an academic course. Supporters of the bill say it offers protection for teachers, students, and parents. Those against the bill say it inhibits open discussion and creates a chilling effect for teachers. We talked to two committee members about their votes. Delegate Patrick Lucas, a Republican from Cabell County, and Delegate Elliot Pritt, a Democrat and schoolteacher from Fayette County, who voted no on the bill. This is what they had to say.
0: It protects teachers, number one, from, you know, talking about it in a way that could cause things to get out of hand. And, and it also keeps teachers who might want to push their ideals onto students from doing so too so this way it kind of narrows the path and it's it's great for teachers and students and parents because you know a lot of parents uh... have expressed their concern about racial issues and other issues that are being taught in the classroom or talked about in the classroom that aren't really part of the curriculum and so it's a protection for students parents and teachers
3: I voted against this act because uh, there are too many ambiguities and it leaves the door open for uh, punitive actions against teachers uh, with very little recourse for them to be able to defend themselves and it leaves it leaves the issue too open it's not well-defined and that becomes the problem
2: The House Judiciary Committee advanced a bill Monday to restrict gender-affirming medical care for transgender minors. As Curtis Tate reports, the bill has more restrictions than one approved earlier by the House Health and Human Resources Committee.
4: The House Judiciary Committee approved House Bill 2007 Monday along party lines after debating it for nearly an hour. An earlier version of the bill restricted gender-affirming surgeries for transgender minors. The latest version also bans minors from receiving hormone therapy or puberty blockers. It matches bills that have been introduced in other Republican-controlled states. The bill's lead sponsor, Delegate Jeff Foster, a Putnam County Republican, said he was concerned that hormone therapy and puberty blockers could cause permanent infertility.
5: Not adopted by any state, but my understanding is that is almost 100% guarantee of infertility.
4: Delegate Joey Garcia, a Marion County Democrat, noted the absence of expert witnesses who could explain whether such treatments have adverse impacts on patients. Well,
5: I, I don't know that that's accurate. We don't have a medical professional with college.
4: Delegate Evan Hansen, a Monongalia County Democrat, again pressed Foster on whether doctors who provide gender-affirming treatments had any input on the bill. Now, most bills are not perfectly black and white. There's gray areas. There's pros and cons or possibly unintended side effects. Did did you consult with any of the doctors providing gender-affirming care to understand why they feel like it's so important?
5: And not specifically with the doctors,
4: Delegate Mike Honaker, a Greenbrier County Republican, said he was concerned that gender affirming procedures could cause irreversible damage.
2: We know that there are questions here about irreversible, that's a powerful word, irreversible, catastrophic gender mutilation of a 5-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old.
4: Gender-affirming surgeries are rarely performed on minors in West Virginia or any state. On the question of expertise, Honaker said he had done his own research to support his position.
2: If you are for this, you can go provide all kinds of data from this medical journal and that medical journal that defends your position, and I can do the same thing. I can go to Google and do that.
4: Delicate Todd Kirby, a Greenbrier County Republican and a co-sponsor of HB 2007, said the bill doesn't prevent adults from seeking gender-affirming care. This bill does not prohibit gender transitioning. It does not prohibit uh, hormone treatment or therapy. What it does is it protects kids from undergoing uh, such procedures until they're of the age of 18, and they can consent, much like we make them wait to consent to other uh, dangerous or life-altering procedures for medical treatments. HB 2007 includes no exceptions for parents and doctors when it comes to treating minors. Leading medical organizations, including the American Medical Association and the American Academy of Pediatrics, have opposed similar bills in other states. Garcia said he didn't question the motives of any of those who support the bill. Still, he noted the absence of testimony from parents or children who have sought gender-affirming care. But I think
3: that's a huge problem with some of the bills that we do, is we don't talk to the
5: people that it affects the most who are going through this.
4: Hansen went further on the potential impacts of HB 2007. Transgender people already face obstacles when seeking gender-affirming medical care. And transgender youth are at higher risk for depression and suicide. Like the gentleman from
5: the 76, I'm not going to question what's in people's
4: hearts. I, I think everybody here wants what's best for West Virginians and for people in their districts. But what I will assert is that this bill is going to hurt people. It's going to harm people. Only Garcia, Hansen, and another Democrat, Delegate Sean Flewharty of Ohio County, opposed the bill in committee. It now heads to the House floor. For the Legislature Today, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston.
6: The
2: House of Delegates will hold a public hearing on House Bill 2007 on Thursday, February 2nd at 9 a.m. State education groups say school discipline is at a near-crisis level. A bill debated in the House today is intended to offer educators a tool to limit disruption in their classrooms. Government reporter Randy Yowie monitored that debate.
5: House Bill 2890 gives school teachers and administrators more leeway in dealing with disruptive students. The bill attempts to define behavior that results from a personality clash between teacher and student and proposes moving that student to a different environment to protect the integrity of the class, as well as charging county school boards to implement a preventive discipline program immediately. Democrats proposed several amendments to the bill offering corrective safeguards, but all were voted down. Delegate Mike Pushkin, a Democrat from Kanawha County, noted that the state has never implemented a legislative plan passed a few years ago to reduce West Virginia's nationally leading rate of student suspensions and expulsions. He said the bill does not address root discipline causes. We've yet to see the plan.
6: So what we're doing today is the opposite of what that bill set out to do. And this this bill will lead to increased suspension and expulsion rates in a state that already, unfortunately, leads the nation in that rate. House Education Committee
5: Chair Joe Ellington, a Republican from Mercer County, countered that the bill helps provide a better education for all students by properly and fairly dealing with discipline problems.
2: Our obligation is to provide a safe and good environment for these children and the staff to be able to teach and learn. And this bill is trying to help in one way, to help those teachers, help those students that are having their education disrupted. But it's also to help those kids that
5: are being excluded, to help them get into a different alternative learning process. Whatever works, that's what it is. It's just one extra tool. House Bill 2890, Modifying School Discipline, passed with a 79-16 vote and now goes to the Senate for consideration. For the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yowie.
2: Representatives from the West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources, DHHR, presented their budget to the Senate Finance Committee Monday amid a flurry of questions from Senators. Emily Rice has more.
7: Interim Cabinet Secretary Dr. Jeffrey Coben, who has been in his position for just seven weeks, began by speaking about his goals and priorities.
1: While I'm acting in an interim capacity, I'm not here to just be a placeholder. We need to take action to optimize the critical services that we provide to West Virginia's most vulnerable populations. And I'm committed to making decisions and moving forward with new initiatives.
7: In November 2022, the McChrystal Report was released calling for overcoming funding obstacles, improving technology resources, and answering pervasive workforce challenges. The DHHR reported their current overall vacancy rate at 24%, noting the COVID 19 pandemic put a strain on an already stretched system. The DHHR is a multi billion dollar agency with myriad departments under its umbrella. There are many who want to see it reorganized. Senator Ruby Phillips, a Republican from Logan County, asked Coben his opinion on the reorganization of the DHHR. The aim of Senate Bill and House Bill 2006.
0: Do you think DHHR is too big because you are
1: 50 plus percent of the state's budget? I'll put it to you this way. I think that agencies like DHHR, whether they're one agency, a singular agency, or whether there are multiple agencies, typically constitute the largest amount of state budget uh, in every state in the the country. Uh, I don't think what we have in West Virginia is unique in that regard.
7: For the Legislature Today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston.
2: The Senate did not slow down today, passing another 10 bills ranging from energy to education to retirement. Senate Bill 166 increases the amount retired public employees can earn in a year without losing their retirement annuity. Senator Eric Nelson, a Republican of Kanawha County, says the amount will need to be reviewed every five years and does not impact the state's other retirement funds. This bill will raise the minimum, that amount, up to $25,000. Which, in essence, reflects half or the av- half the average salary that uh, employees in the PERS system are currently earning. Uh, the bill only affects retirees in the public employees' retirement system. It does not have any effect of employees working part time that are in the teachers' retirement system. Lawmakers have discussed encouraging retirees to return to work. To help shore up some of the state's labor shortfall. The bill passed unanimously with no debate. Three bills originating from the Senate Education Committee also passed. Senate Bill 306 establishes the Summer Feeding for All program to study statewide efforts to feed students when they're out of school. Senator Mike Wolf a Democrat of Cabell County, stood
6: in support of the bill. Childhood uh hunger is very real in america and it's certainly very real in west virginia what we run into in the in, in the actual practice of this is certain areas are full of nonprofits and just good-hearted people that are out here making sure our kids are fed during the summer but in some areas like where i live that's pervasive in fact we may have too much food from time to time but there are pockets in the state that are still underserved and those, those little guys go hungry during the summer. They really do. And what this bill really essentially comes down to is there will, be, uh, there will be an opportunity for us to learn, each county to learn from a different county and make sure that there are no pockets of hunger for children during the summer. Um, it's just a really, it's a comprehensive plan instead of our hodgepodge uh, that we've had in the past and uh, appreciate it.
2: Senate Bill 306 was the only bill that did not pass unanimously Tuesday. Senator Robert Carnes, a Republican of Randolph County, was the sole dissenting vote. Three other bills all originated at the request of the state's tax commissioner. Most notable of the three, Senate Bill 444, closes the West Virginia Future Fund. Senator Eric Tarr, a Republican of Putnam County and chair of the Senate Finance Committee, says the fund had no money in it and was functionally already defunct. All 10 bills now go to the House of Delegates for its consideration. While Governor Jim Justice travels the state with his town hall meetings extolling the merits of his 50% personal income tax cut with House support for the measure, all eyes are on the Senate after the defeat of Amendment 2 during last year's November elections. Government reporter Randy Yowie speaks with Senate Finance Chair Eric Tarr, Republican from Putnam County, and House Finance Committee Member Larry Rowe, a Democrat from Kanawha County, to get the latest on how they see things moving forward.
5: Thank you, Bob. Delegate Larry Rowe, Senator Eric Tarr, thanks for being here today. Do you mind if I call you Larry and Eric? All right, thanks. Make it easier. Let's just start out. What should be the overall intrinsic legislative goals in tax reform? Eric, I'll start with you.
3: You know, it has to be safe for our families and have to make West Virginia competitive. This is, this is a unique opportunity in West Virginia's history to get it right, and it's a very small window to get it right. And so looking at tax policy, we need to have something that's sustainable, safe, comprehensive, and competitive.
0: Larry? Well, I, I, I certainly don't disagree with that. But I, I think, you know, after, after eight years of legislative leadership by this, this leadership team, it's about time that we provided a tax break for, for working families. We've done a little bit. and and a bunch for businesses, but now it's time to look at working families and give them a break. And I think that we also have to be careful that whatever the amount of the the budget cut is, that it's not so deep that it affects services, as Chairman Tarr has told us. Larry, explain how House Bill 2526, 50%
5: personal income tax cut, would work and its basic merits. I know that the Democrats went along
0: with the House Republicans and passed this. Uh, Bottom line it for me. Well, I, I think the real problem is that it's about, well, I, I don't have the exact figure, 1.3, $1.3, $1.4 billion. I mean, it's a high percentage of what our, our total revenues are for the, the general revenue. And uh, I think it creates a real danger. But the problem is it's not fair. It, it cuts everybody's tax by half, which means that somebody who's a million-dollar filer is going to get a three hundred and fifty—I'm sorry—is going to get a thirty-two thousand five hundred-dollar cut, whereas somebody who, who makes uh, uh, say eighty thousand uh, uh, dollars would would get a, a break of four thousand dollars. And what the the plan that we proposed in the House for as Democrats was that we would zero out the tax on all income brackets below 80,000 and keep the tax the present tax of 6.5 on the higher income earners it's a fair tax it could be done and we could step it in if there's concern and there is great concern about the overall impact of the budget we could step it in at 40,000 income first year see how that goes that would cost us about 8 hundred eighty million dollars uh, much about half of what the governor's plan does and it gets money into the hands of, of homeowners and, and folks who will spend that money in their communities. Now,
5: that was voted down by the overall House, and a lot of you Democrats did join in to 50%. Eric, let's take a look at I mean, you've said the DOA, that's no go from the start, and you and I have talked before, and we're waiting for the Senate to prepare their to present their plan. We're wondering why it hasn't come out. You've told me before that it's basically amendment to and rebate form. Is that the bottom line? It's one of the plans we're looking at here. It's not
3: necessarily the bottom line. There are several ways to approach it. One of the reasons that we're kind of being very patient with what we're looking at is the spending priorities. As you know right now, we're going through our budget hearings. And before you go in and you do, take, take on an astronomical tax cut like the governor suggested, it takes away $1.084 billion in fiscal year 24 and then increases by his numbers on his base budget, or base budget by 5.3%, which is nearly $250 million. Those create inverse lines. It means your your revenue starts to cross your expense line. And you can't do that in your home, and you can't do that here in West Virginia. And so when we're looking at it, one of the things that that really puts a magnifying glass on is then we need to figure out where spending is. So when he's suggesting this increase, we want to know, is this all of it? Is this all the increase that's going to happen? Because, as you know, the governor can change his revenue estimate at any time. And, And we do not want to create a situation where we've cut so deep and then you find spending get out of control. And so right now we have to look at that very
5: closely. So, I mean, can you give us a hint on when you're going to deliver that and what the highlights will be? Will it be? Well, see, I can tell you one
3: thing is, is when we're not in a hurry. I'll tell you as much as conversation's been around this, and the reason we're not in a hurry is that anything that we would do doesn't get implemented at the very early, till July. So as, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't have to happen this session if, it, if, we don't, if it's, yeah. it's a matter of getting it right more so than how fast you get it done in a session. And I tell you what, this is this is major, major, major opportunity for West Virginia. If done wrong, as the governor's proposed it, it's a major, major risk for the families of West Virginia. So I think getting
5: it right is more important than expediency. expedience, and we've got a little time to get it right. Might not even be this session. Larry, we're looking at the surplus, and, and then right. and the governor keeps talking about his surplus, but then you start looking at The millions of dollars needed to fix roads, to hire correction officers, teacher pay raises, PEIA, 100 million for early childhood education initiatives. All those hundreds of millions add up, don't they? Will we have the money
0: with a 50% personal income tax Pay for those things that we need. Well, the thing is, is that we've we've got to base it on numbers that are, are that are real and not not the stimulus monies that we've gotten, not the, the federal funds that uh, infrastructure. We've got to, to use those funds for those projects, but we can't sustain a budget. Just as the chairman said, we can't sustain a uh, hundred I, I mean a 1.8 mil- billion dollar uh, cut to the budget. I mean those just aren't real numbers. And, and I think in our plan, what we do is we allow people to have some hope that there would be increases in, in the, uh, uh, that the taxes would decrease as, as we uh, drop the, the different brackets. And when we move up to $80,000, that's $4,000 a year savings to people. That money all goes back into the, into the regular economy. The high, the high earners are not going to spend $32,000 at the local grocery store. They're going to spend that in their stock for- portfolios. So it's a different concept. Who gets helped makes a huge difference. And just as the chairman said, it's got to be done strategically so that, that we use the bonus monies that we have now, but we don't count on them being there. Now, I would point out that the Teachers' Retirement Fund will be paid up in full in in 2034. Now, that seems like a long way off, but that's $400 million, you know? So, as the chair says, we've got some opportunities if we stage this out and we do it strategic. Now, is it all moot if everybody's not on the same sheet of music,
5: the the, the executive uh, at the House and the Senate? I heard uh, Chairman Householder say that... um, everybody that you guys were meeting at the governor's mansion. Uh, Senate leaders with the governor uh, weekly. So there is communication.
3: We met with the governor once. We met with this staff twice since <laughs> session started. So he was there for the first time. Um, no, you don't need all three people in the same table, the same place. We, what we need is the House and the Senate in the same place. Okay. You know, we have mega majorities both in the House and in the Senate. So we have 31 out of 34 in the Senate. You have 88 out of 100 over in the House. The governor is a lame duck governor with two years left. He's more worried about a campaign for Senate than he is practical policy, and he's made that very evident. He's made that very evident with his little road tour he's doing. He should be here. If he cared about this policy, he would be here, not out campaigning across the state right now while we're in session on this issue. So I don't think it's as important as he's making it out to be to him as much as the media is important to him. So as for us, the legislature could go out, pass whatever we decide to pass. His opinion wouldn't matter and i think that he's demonstrated that relying heavily on his opinion would be risky
5: can can there, can can the senate and the house come to some kind of agreement do you
0: think oh i think easily i'm just hoping that if we that what we do is a is a tax cut where we zero out the state income tax For the lower brackets, and and with a plan that we go to up to eighty thousand dollars, that would be seventy-two percent of all West Virginia families would would get a zero tax bill for state income tax. Now that that can be costly, and that's why you might we might want to stage it in. I'm hoping that uh, the idea with the Democrats in the House is that we're speaking to the to the Senate rather than than uh, to the governor, because I think he's made up his mind. So we're hoping that the Senate will come along and look at the numbers that we're presenting and see that we can, for the first time in eight years, we can provide real tax relief to to regular earners. Well, we'll see
5: what happens. Eric, Larry, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, sir.
2: Thanks for that, Randy. Tune into the legislature today, Monday through Friday at six. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Brunner, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.
1: Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston. An all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Jaeger Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at Hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at Segra.com.